Welcome to the Your Money Personal Finance Podcast. I'm David Pratt, along with the president of Everything Financial, Peter Shushecki. How you doing, Very Dave? Very good. It's showtime, buddy. It's showtime. It, it is showtime. So where are we at here now? We're season two, episode 75, I think. No, not really. <laughs> but we've got ourselves a very special guest. That's what's most important. We do, Dave. Uh, today, I, I wanted to really expand on the education for our listeners and viewers. So we're bringing on Janice yeah. Soudin. Uh, I've known Janice for quite a few years. We do work together. But today isn't about where Janice works. It's not an infomercial <laughs> by any means. Um, Janice Souden is a vice president and partner of one of Canada's leading portfolio management companies. But I asked Janice on today, and she was gracious enough to give us her time here, to really inform our viewers about portfolio management. They hear me talk about it all the time on radio, TV, previous podcasts, trying to tell them the difference. But I thought, you know what? Rather than me let's truly get one of Canada's leading experts. Again, teaching people those things and those questions that they never even knew they're supposed to ask. So I'm going to, hard to believe, Dave, I'm going to sit back, listen, learn, and welcome Janice and let you two pretty well run with it. And yeah, maybe I'll pop in once in a while to make sure I'm still. Oh, I think you'll do more than that, Janice. I think you you know well enough to know that this party's just getting started. (laughs) All right. Let's start number one on the list here. Are mutual funds and portfolio management the same thing? No, they're not. Short answer is no. And that's a that's a big misconception uh, in Canada. So portfolio management services are provided by registered professionals. Um, we enter into an agreement with our clients to manage the investment portfolios. Okay. So we're responsible to make tailor-made investment decisions on behalf of our clients with the goal to meet their specified objectives. On the other hand, mutual funds are an investment vehicle. They are a product, a product that's sold by mutual fund advisors. Mutual funds are investment vehicles that consist of a pool of investments with a view to investing in different securities like bonds, stocks, money market instruments, etc. So portfolio management mutual funds can be differentiated on many points, including fees, size, taxation, customization. Um, But portfolio managers often offer customized investment solutions. They provide transparency in money management, more flexibility, and probably the most important Um, uh, point to note, portfolio management service managers are directly answerable to clients, whereas mutual fund managers have no such obligations. I can't even add to that. (laughs) Why would I, Dave? Except I know Janice is going to get into this, but it, 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 and I've known Janice a long time and I, and I can say this, and I know this from other portfolio managers too, that what people don't understand is kind of, and I've said this before, what came first, the chicken or the egg? And here's the difference in using a registered financial planner. You build a plan and Janice is so good and, and other people I know too, right, Janice? But that's the job really of a portfolio manager is listening to the plan and then building the portfolio to match the plan, not the other way around. So... My next question, because I really do not know the answer to this. So I'm going to, as someone who's going to openly say, I'm not that well educated in this. What the hell is a fiduciary? And why should I care? Why hey, should at I least care? pronounced yes. it right. <laughs> <laughs> now explain it to me so I can understand it. 
Sure, sure. So fiduciary yeah. is yeah. its a really important concept um, in, in our world. Um, many investors just assume that financial advisors or financial planners have a duty to act in their best interests, but that's not necessarily true. The requirement in Ontario, just using Ontario as an example, is to act, quote, fairly honestly and in good faith, which is known as the duty of care model. Portfolio managers, on the other hand, have a fiduciary duty to act with care, honesty, and good faith, but more importantly, always in the best interests of their clients. So investment decisions for portfolio managers, therefore, have to be independent, free of bias, and that results in a higher level of trust placed on portfolio managers. The fiduciary standard is much stricter than just the suitability standard, which applies to brokers, insurance agents, and many other financial professionals. The suitability standard only requires that as long as an investment objective meets a client's needs and objectives, it's appropriate to recommend to the clients. A fiduciary's duty is a commitment to put the client's best interest first. So in Canada, the regulators have been really reluctant to move to an industry-wide fiduciary standard. The existing duties and obligations imposed on investment professionals provide investors with significant safeguards in their financial dealings with registered investment professionals. But as it stands, the only Canadian financial professionals who are under fiduciary obligations to act in the best interests of the clients are those registered as portfolio managers with discretionary authority over their clients' accounts. So here's something interesting, Dave, when I hear her say that, and I've obviously heard this stuff a lot of times, but you, let's just say you as the the lay person who really, you know, we threw this to you and you do a great job hosting this, but what makes it so good with you doing this is a lot of these things aren't your field of expertise. We're not talking about fourth and one or a power play, right? And when I read or hear Janice say that, and this is one of the reasons our company moved this way years ago to using portfolio managers long before I ever knew Janice, actually, she came on after. But when you hear what a fiduciary is, why aren't other registered financial planners and people who are building financial plans for their clients using a fiduciary? Like you think about it with what they stand for and what their job, sorry, Janice, I mean, but their obligation, I guess is a better word is why doesn't everybody use these? Because the bottom line, the client wins. That's the most important part. Maybe I'm a naive a little bit, but I just can't believe that every person building a financial plan doesn't go down this road and everyone's got their own reasons. Uh, why? I just think though, it's great turning to a professional like Janice and the other ones I know out there to go, Hey, you look after this so important part of the client's financial picture. I'll look after the plan, the taxes, blah, blah, blah. But then let them, let them look after this part. I just think it's great. Yeah. To me, the biggest word is trust. Absolutely. Yeah. More than anything else moves on to another one here. Again, if I look a little confused, hang in with me. Okay. <laughs> so what's a custodian? Okay. I got the fiduciary, but okay. Explain the the custodian. I got that out right. Did I not, Peter? I got custodian? Yeah, well, you you don't trip too many times over your words, but you're doing pretty good. Sure, sure. So custodian is another important concept to to understand. So um, a portfolio manager can't access directly the assets in a client's account. The assets are held with a custodian, which reduces risks. So it reduces the risk of theft, of mismet, of um, misappropriation of, of, the, of the assets. They're also separate from the custodian's corporate assets, which means that your money would be safe in the event 
that the custodian stopped operations. So the custodian in Canada is often a reputable financial institution, usually a, a big bank, um, unfortunately, has, which has nothing to do with the management of, of the investments whatsoever. Um, but it holds report important responsibilities. So in addition to safekeeping of, your, of the client's assets, the custodian arranges for trade settlement that involves ensuring your cash goes to the appropriate party for purchases, confirming receipt of funds for sales. Um, they also act as the record keeper that provides timely account reports outlining your holdings and transactions that occur over a given period of time. So we might not realize it, but custodians in Canada are arguably, arguably the best line of defense against asset mismanagement. It's important to understand that the responsibility of a, that a custodian holds is independent of an asset management firm's duties. So they have nothing to do with the actual investment. They're just the vault that houses the assets. And here goes Peter with one of the stories. <laughs> okay, Dave. I'm ready. Um, because we know sometime we know sometime I'm a little hard on the big institutions yes. and the salespeople out there, and people cringe when I start this. And for the most part, and Janice, I think would agree with this. And, and and again, why we have her here, she's been on both sides of this. She's been with those companies and now with the portfolio management company. So she's seen it from all different angles. And I've worked with both in my 31 years. Yes, I did start when I was four. Let's just tell that story, but. Here's the thing. I mean, when it comes to custodian, yeah. and this doesn't, again, people, this does not happen often. But, and Janice knows this one. Every once in a while, you'll get someone at a major institution when they say, well, we're moving our money to everything financial or XYZ financial, an independent company, blah, blah, blah. And the people have the gall to say to them, your money's not protected. Your money's not this. Your, 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 your money could be gone tomorrow. They can abscond with your money. And again, our job, Dave, or the responsibility you and I have undertaken with these podcasts is, again, teach people to ask the questions they didn't even know they're supposed to ask. And Janice, would you not agree? Kind of the first one is, who's your custodian? I mean, do you have a custodian, right? Because then you know, and I love the way Janice explains it, the vault. You know your money's in the vault and... XYZ person isn't walking away with it. Gets on to the next step. Okay. What does it mean to be an accredited? I think that's an important word there. Accredited investor. So the definition of who is an accredited investor is, is really quite long, but, um, and we'll keep it short here, but the definition includes a long list of investors. Large Not 87 of, pages, Janice? Well, I tried to pare it down. That's an so inside joke, inside Dave, for Janice and I. <laughs> but it includes things like large financial institutions, government agencies, but also certain individuals. For an individual to be considered an accredited investor, they have to meet either an income test or a financial asset test. So the individual, if we're looking at, at um, a household, which is usually two spouses, um, they must either have, number one, made at least $200,000 each year for the last two years, or $300 with his or her spouse, if they're married, um, and have the expectation to make the same amount this year. Or the second option is have financial assets that exceed $1 million, excluding their principal residence, or have net assets of at least $5 million, including the net value of their primary residence. Hey, easy line to cross. <laughs> um, easy, but, but here's the thing. Sometimes, and, yeah. and I know we're making this a little later, but just in case, it's funny because, Janice, there are certain investments, correct, that are only available to an accredited investor. 
And they have to meet that criteria as well, right? I mean, that's the key. They have to meet that criteria. And so when you tell that to people, it's important to realize we would love to provide these solutions for you. I, I, I've seen this happen, but you can't, not because Janice and her firm or other portfolio managers are so pompous and arrogant and go, well, we can't put you in that because you don't have a million dollars. You're not a credited investor. It's not her fault. <laughs> they can't, they can't break the rules. It's there to protect you. Right, Janice? I mean, that's to get into some of these investments. Yeah. So it's not like they think they're so above you that, sorry, you don't have this. I, I mean, I know Janice, we've talked about this and she can only deal with certain clients. I'd love it if she could deal with every client, but okay. rules are rules. And that's what you want is a, a fiduciary and a portfolio manager who, you know, sticks to the rules, which is important. Well, I, I think this also gets, and I'm going to throw this to you, Janice, the, the, the whole thing of, of the benefit of this. So what is available to the accredited investor that's not invested, that's not available to all the others, you know, those other people out there? Yeah. So the primary benefit of being an accredited investor is it gives you somewhat of a financial advantage over others because you have a larger pot of money um, and the opportunity to be um, split it up a lot more and be more well, well diversified. So because the client and accredited investors uh, net worth or salary is already among the highest, sure. um, it allows them access to investments that others with less wealth do not have access to. So these investments could have higher rates of return, offer I think most importantly, offer greater diversification and many other attributes that might help them build uh, their wealth. One of the simplest examples of, of the benefit of being an accredited investor is being able to invest in hedge funds. These are not always these speculative, crazy types of investments like you hear on, you know, in the movies or you hear about Bernie Madoff yeah. or uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Um, sometimes hedge funds are just an additional um, type of diversification tool that we're able to access for accredited investors. And they're primarily only accessible to in accredited investors because they require a high minimum investment amounts. Um, they may or may not have higher risk. In a lot of cases, they don't necessarily, but their returns can be very good. So can I clarify something? Because I've never heard this explanation quite like this before, or at least I don't remember because, hey, that's me. So to clarify for everyone out there, Janice, so an accredited investor theoretically can take on more risk, but that doesn't mean you're automatically going to put them in more risk. No, absolutely not. And in fact, um, we our goal is to try to reduce risk as much as possible. And with having more diversification and a bigger, you know, pot of money to um, to divvy up. There is a lot more opportunity to diversify that, which actually reduces the risk in a portfolio. So the lower risk, being an accredited investor, or for that matter, any investor, would you say, I mean, the lower risk, which another word for risk would be volatility. So the lower risk, theoretically over the long term, theoretically, no okay. guarantees, so let's be clear. Sure. Talk to the lawyers here. <laughs> the lower the risk, the longer the term, the more likelihood, not necessarily of success, but the more likelihood of accuracy, let's say, in the plan. So if someone came to you talking about risk, not me, Dave, don't even laugh at me now, and said, well, I want to get this client, 
I want to get this client, whatever, to make their plan and their hopes and dreams and everything come true. Janice, go get me 15%. You as a fiduciary and talking about a credit investor and everything else here, what would your reaction to that person be? Now, this isn't necessarily a kid's show, so feel free to say this any way you want. <laughs> so as a financial planner, good financial planners will come to an invest a portfolio manager with a reasonable expectation of return. So somewhere, you know, five, six percent, um, that's reasonable. And we can get that a lot of different ways by you know being really well diversified and including um, some of the types of investments that are available only to accredited investors. If you were to come to me and say, I need a 20% return, I'd be telling the financial planner to go do a little bit uh, better work on that because I can't, uh, I'm not going to be shooting for those types of numbers. If we get them, that's great. But, you know, we're, our job is to try to be um, as, as uh, defensive and uh, protective and not lose uh, clients' money. So, you know, working with a portfolio manager doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be, um, you know, have a lot of speculative or, you know, really aggressive types of investments in your portfolio. Dave, Janice always does say one of the best things, and I've heard it a lot, so you think I'd be sick okay. of it. But she says two things when she talks about risk, and I know this, and, and I'm going to clarify because I've seen her in action a lot with meetings and explaining to clients. Just because, and she said something that are key, you know, you may design a plan of 5 or 6% to reach your goals. But Janice, you would love always to earn them more than 5 or 6%, correct? It's not like you're just saying, well, if you only need 5 or 6%, we're only going to get you 5 or 6%. No, it just means that with a 5 or 6% target, we can take a whole lot more risk off the table. Yeah, because when you talk about rates of return in the past, and if someone leads with, well, here's what so-and-so earned me, here's what so-and-so earned me, what do you say to that? Oh, boy, I think that's one of the biggest challenges in our industry. And I've, you know, I've been in the industry almost 30 years and I, you know. She too started at four. Exactly. Past performance isn't for sale. So, you know, it might be a good indicator of what a portfolio management uh, company has been able to do, but it's not for sale. And it's not uh, reasonable to expect that what's happened over the last year or five years is what's going to happen going forward. So anybody that is holding out, you know, huge numbers, especially over the last couple of years, we can see these huge numbers that have been uh, that have been earned. You know, we've done it. A lot of our peers have done it as well. Um, but holding that out as a reasonable expectation going forward is just um, inaccurate and dangerous. Here's the thing I'm going to throw at you. OK, how do you how do you know that there's a wolf in the room? OK, <laughs> how do you know that? And if you have got it all figured out that the Wolf of Wall Street is sitting there right next to you, how do you get him out of the room? Mm -hmm. You run for the door. So okay, anyone that okay. is promising you, you know, guaranteed something that's not a GIC that's, you know, going to earn maybe, I don't know, what have you seen, Peter, 1% maybe? Okay. Um, anything that uh, anytime someone is telling you that they can guarantee you, you know, double digit returns or they're showing and no you out and, and low fees, like like ridiculously low fees, or you know, like uh, we see lots of commercials on TV right now that say uh, that talk about you know that the goal is to keep your fees as close to zero as possible. Well, you know, you kind of get what you pay for. It's like you know, I can get my next door neighbor to fix my car, but I think I'd rather pay you know a mechanic to do the right job. It's exactly the same thing. Um, but yeah, anytime anybody is saying, I guarantee you, you know, there's no risk, it's, 
it's perfectly suitable to be in this in this type of investment and you'll get 25% returns at you know half a half a percentage point fee um, things like that that sound too good to be true they are most likely too good to be true and unfortunately we've seen it a lot in our industry so um, that's where you take your papers you say thank you very much and you exit the room I always say that Dave I've said this on many shows when you go in to meet someone, an advisor, planner, registered financial planner, but you know any type of advisor, if we will, for the first time, always have good footwear on. Because if they lead with, can I see what you've earned last year, right, Janice? I mean, anyone, right, Janice, in the mutual fund business or, or any investment business for that matter, can take a computer with the thousands, I don't even know how many, but there is thousands, right, of investments available out there, and they can devise a combination of investments to always outperform what you had before. That doesn't mean it's right for you though, right, Janice? It might not be, it could be completely the wrong thing. And it's always great to be able to look, oh yeah, if we all had hindsight, right? And be able to look. So it should be about the plan and matching the investment to the plan. And if it starts out with all about rate of return, rate of return, rate of return, yeah, have that good footwear on. And a clear path to the door. <laughs> Just looking down at my shoes right now. Hmm. Okay. There is there is cause for concern here. Okay. Um, let's get on to what they call an alternative investment. All right. How can you lower the risk? And again, we're back to the risk factor here, and increase your rate of return. I mean, there's 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 the balancing act. So, showtime. All right. So, alternative investments. Um... They have really in recent years been um, getting a lot more attention. So alternative asset classes are often uh, investments in the private market. So things such as real estate, uh, private loans, infrastructure, and they've become important investments in portfolios, um, both of you know large and smaller clients, meaning large financial institutions and smaller individual clients that are accredited investors. Um, but they provide new and compelling sources of yield and potential for capital gains that, and this is the key, they have very low correlation to traditional capital markets. So it doesn't matter whether the markets are going up and down, these types of investments have a low correlation to that type of volatility. Um, so that relationship the, to traditional um, asset class and traditional capital markets is really the key to the valuable diversification benefits of having um, alternatives in a portfolio. So we're so, and I, I love it when I, when I first learned about these things years yeah. ago, Dave, and I got a good education on it from Janice, it, it, yeah. it really makes you go, hmm. hmm, because you're so used to thinking, if I lower my risk, I automatically lower my return over, you know, a good length of time, right? Janice, like five, six, seven years. What you're saying is the right amount of alternatives will lower, and again, it's part of everyone's plan, but will lower your risk, but theoretically could increase the return. Yeah, absolutely. But they definitely lower your risk. Okay. And I mean, mainly because of the diversification. And, and like I said, when the, when the markets are going up and down um, and people get a little worried about that, private market investments or alternative investments generally don't react when the markets do. Markets are an emotional thing. They're reacting to its investor sentiment that causes markets to go up and down. When you're holding private market asset class or, or alternative asset classes, 
they don't react the same way. So that, and along with the fact that if Donald Trump walks into the room, you flee. If, if you put those two together, you should oh. be okay. We don't get into, we are politically agnostic. Oh, okay. Not going to oh, go there. Okay. <laughs> See, Dave, there's a motion though, See? Dave. See, Jenna said, Dave's favorite word for years is making an emotional yes. commitment on anything. Yes. If you know anything about him and his days on sports Always. for 40 years, yes. making emotional. And we know this, making an emotional decision about money oh. never has you making None. the right decision. None. So I like Janice's thought of let's take emotion off the table because, yeah, someone says one thing about something in the world. For 24 hours, the markets go yeah. snaky like like it's gospel. Yeah. Because that internet thing doesn't influence anything <laughs> no, at no. all, ever. No, it's Except crazy. You get, icon here. you get something that pops up. I mean, it's, yeah, and we see it all the time. Um, you know, like Omicron last week. I mean, it could be Delta. It could be, you know, dinosaurs start to walk the earth again. And that, you know, people freak out about these sure. things and it sure. affects, you know, how they're investing and they run for the hills and, you know, our job is to take the emotion out of it. So, Well, if we're going to have fun with this, sorry, Dave, if we're going to have fun with this, Janice, dinosaurs do walk the earth. Have you ever seen who's leading the U.S. Yes. right now? Yes. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. We had one. I got to be equal to both sides <laughs> yeah, here sure. and give another a slam. Sure, why not Biden just, I'm, yeah. I'm an equal opportunist. I insult them all. <laughs> Just don't trust politicians, period, and just move along. Uh, or anybody else who tries to sell you on something that's too good to be true because it's usually too good to be true. And just make sure when you see a politician, yeah. you have your hand on yes, your wallet. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, let's settle this thing down a little bit here, okay? Before, before I start to, to decide that I want to run for president. Um, let me throw this by you. Uh, how does tax deductibility differ between portfolio management and mutual funds? Yeah. So um, typically portfolio management fees are very transparent okay. and upfront. Okay. Um, they may be fully tax deductible for non-registered investments. And so that will include all of our fees for managing the portfolio, as well as the fee that we pay uh, an advisor to do the financial planning piece of, of, the, of the puzzle. Um, in mutual funds, if it's a bundled mutual fund, like either a um, what's called a front end or a DSC mutual fund, those MERs are not tax deductible. In recent years, there's sort of a, an unbundled version of, of mutual fund fees that are called F-class fees that will have a smaller MER plus the advisor fee on top of it. The MER, the underlying fee, is not tax deductible. The advisor fee is. So in comparison, our entire fee uh, or the portfolio manager's entire fee may be tax deductible. However, I'm not an accountant, so you always have to check with your tax professional um, on this. But that's what we found in our experience is that these fees are, are tax deductible. And one thing, because Dave loves acronyms so much, you may want to tell him what an MER is. MER is a management expense ratio. Okay, I thought it was... And is it the only fee? Okay. No. So... Um, I don't work in the mutual fund world, so I won't work on unbundling those fees. But there are layers of fees that may be um, uh, present in mutual funds or those types of products, segregated funds, etc. Um, what I can speak to is how our fee is very transparent um, and how, you know, when we're assessing fees, we assess it 
in arrears at the end of every quarter. And uh, mutual fund fees are assessed a little bit differently. Well, then that gets to the question of how the fees are calculated in, in terms of the difference between, say, portfolio management and mutual funds. Can we go there? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So for portfolio management, um, fees are assessed at the end of the quarter um, in arrears. So we take a look, we do a calculation that's based on what's called the daily average market value. So that's the value of the portfolio every single day in that quarter on an average basis. And then we assess the fee at the end of the quarter. For mutual funds, the MER, the management expense ratio, is expressed as a percentage of the fund's average assets for the year. However, instead of being subtracted annually in one shot, the MER is usually deducted on a daily prorated basis. And it's taken out of the account before they calculate the unit price. Um, the MER usually consists of most of the, of the costs um, charged to the fund, but not all of them. So, for example, funds that invest in equities, portfolio transaction costs like the brokerage commissions um, and any HST that's applicable to those costs are not included in the HST. So these trading um, expenses incurred by the fund manager are called the trading expense ratio. And for further details on that, you can go to someone like Peter who can break all those out using the software that... Uh, have uh, accessible to them. So, Peter? Well, Dave, I think Janice said one of the key things there when she's talking about fees and MERs and ABCs and XYZs and LMNOPs and all that stuff yeah. that she goes into with all those different acronyms, transparency. And that's one thing you know I've been a bit, big advocate of for years. And, and everyone thinks, you know, you know, send the hate mail now, people, that I just crap on big institutions and mutual fund people. And, and that's not true. What I crap on is that I believe, and I, and I know I get a lot of support from a lot of colleagues, that it just should be a level playing field in the sense that I don't see anything wrong with fees being 100% to the penny, transparent from everyone in our industry. I just think that's better for the consumer. It's a, it's, it's a fiduciary-like model, not a fiduciary itself, but but a fiduciary-like model because you don't go to the you don't go get your car fixed without knowing a bill of what you're paying for. You don't go to the dentist without an itemized bill of you know how many units of scaling did you have and what the fluoride treatment cost, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So one of your most important things, your assets and your ability to save for retirement and have an income, et cetera. Why is there a bunch of cloak and dagger? I just don't get it. It doesn't make sense. And other countries in the world are definitely way ahead of Canada in this. And not every country. I'm just saying some, there's a lot of other countries that we know very close to home that are way ahead of us on full disclosure of fees. And I'm just hoping we'll get there at some point. Yeah, Janice, why is that? Uh, well, Canada is just a little bit behind. Uh, I think the states are, are much further ahead than we are. Um, but... Uh, you know, I'll go out and, on a limb and say that, you know, perhaps the banks have a lot of uh, uh, um, power in Canada. Yes. <laughs> I'm so not sure how far out on a limb that is. See, I'd like to just blame Trudeau for everything. So, okay, can I do that? No, I guess not. Politically agnostic. So how do portfolio managers work with advisors? So a portfolio manager is an individual or a company that develops and implements investment strategies for individuals, often usually accredited yeah. investors. Yeah. Advisors provide additional services such as financial planning, which is probably the most important piece, 
But that can include things like tax planning, insurance, cash flow planning or budgeting, um, estate planning, and really setting a long-term roadmap throughout an individual's uh, lifetime. The investment part takes into consideration the details that are determined by the financial plan so that collaboratively we're all sitting at the table for the benefit of the client um, and a good advisor and a portfolio manager can create a complementary plan for the client that encompasses all those things. So investments are just a piece of the overall picture. Yeah, what I see, Dave, Janice say all the time too in these in these meetings and, and, and our other managers that we deal with is they'll they'll tell people, I'm not a registered financial planner. I look after the portfolio portion. On the same note, if a client comes to me and says, well, what's in my investment? What's this? What's that? I have no earthly idea. I can't manage a plan, do a tax strategy, look after estate planning. Oh, and I'm going to pick stocks or holdings, whatever the right terminology is, Janice, you guys use. I don't do that. But I know that Janice and our other companies we work with are so good that they come in right at the beginning to see what's being developed in the plan. So right away, they can start working on the portfolio model, just like she said a second ago, to be complementary to work with the plan. And that can change. It changes all the time. Life, life does not stand still. But I love that they take an interest in the plan to make sure the person doesn't just get a product they get the right portfolio management solution. Well, Janice, thanks so much for joining us. We really do appreciate everything that you've uh, been able to say to us. And I tell you what, if people want to learn more on portfolio managers, Peter, you know, what's what's the next step here? What, what, what should they do? Well, talk to a, I mean, when you go see your registered financial planner, I think I said this early on in the beginning, and ask them if they're not dealing with a portfolio manager why? And, and, and your opinion, Janice, you've yeah. been doing this 30 years, like I said, since you were four. Really, and I know you believe this, but why do you think portfolio managers and advisors, vice versa, really, should always work together? What's your, I mean, and this is unsolicited, I put you on the spot here, but I know you, I know you're a straight shooter. So what's your opinion on this? Well, absolutely. I think that that everybody needs a, a financial planner, a good financial planner. It's not just a product salesperson. Um, and I hate to say this and build Peter's ego up, but he's generally the center of the universe. So when it comes to a client situation, we need that quarterback. We need someone to be taking a look at all of the different pieces. Investments are just one small piece of it. Um, there's so much more that goes into it and it changes over time. So without an advisor to act as that quarterback for all aspects of the client's financial plan, it's really difficult for me or any portfolio manager to really create a comprehensive investment portfolio that, that makes sense uh, for a client over the long term. And trust me, Dave, we've heard some, I'm going to bypass this. Okay. Yeah. All right. But no, no, but she's being too kind. But the I do know of some cases, though, we've seen and we've come across where people were not getting the tax advice, the planning advice, the whole encompassing plan and decisions were made for them by a salesperson, for lack of a better term, without a lot of investigation yeah. and caused huge detrimental tax effects. So it's always best to take your time, have your advisor and the portfolio manager work together 
so they can uncover these things and make the right informed, educated decision. And just instead of just going, well, let's sell off this or buy this or whatever, right? Do this or do that. You look at all the pros and cons and how they affect your plan, your taxes, et cetera, um, before. And an advisor isn't going to know all that information without the benefit of using a portfolio manager to help them out. Again, Janice, thanks so much. We really do appreciate this a bunch. You have saved the show. My pleasure. <laughs> and that is the show. Uh, thanks very much for following me as always on your favorite uh, podcast platform and YouTube. If you have any questions for Peter, just go to yourmoneyatevertherythingfinancial.com and we'll do this again shortly. That's not a promise. It's a threat. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Appreciate your time.